This is unbelievable. If you would have told me 10 years ago when the First Mercy Road Church started that we would all be here in a field in Anderson, I would have thought you were nuts. And just to look at what the Lord has done in this short time is incredible. And, you know, I want to thank some people that have been a part of it along the way. Eric Maitland, our worship leader right over here, has been around when there was 12 people in the church. Eric, you got to stand up. They can't see you. But I was thinking about this. It was, ten, it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago yesterday, you got your first real job. Is that, it is, yeah. is, is that right? Let's go back to back and settle this. How, how much taller are you really than me? It's not that far. It's not that far. I think it's it a little farther than I think you thought, but uh, it's, it's the only one I get to pick on for that. But uh, if you are new here and you're like, what are you talking about? Ten years. Uh, it was ten years ago that a group of 12 people got together and started meeting in a house. And we had a vision from day one that we would see a million people come to Christ in our state, which is a really silly idea because there are less than seven million people in the entire state. And the vision was to decentralize the power of the church to the priesthood of all believers through micro-communities we call outposts that now are scattered all over the state, living on mission. In fact, there's one starting up here in Anderson in the very near future. And we believe God is up to something really special. So as I talk today about life change, I want you to know we mean this. The first church was started with a few people, a lot of who had not been in churches before, some who weren't Christian and it's incredible to see what today. So I just want to do this really quickly. Bear with me. The first outpost that we ever started was in a home before we launched the worship service. Is there? I know there's a couple of you, but is there anybody here that you were in the first outpost? If that was you, would you stand up for just a second? Stand up if you were in the very first outpost. The Cruzies. I know I saw the Loomises. Dan Loomis is here somewhere. Kyle Loomis. Yeah, there's Dan. Hey, man. And it's, I love, thank you guys. Seriously, thank you. And I, I also wanted to recognize anybody who was there on the first launch team and were there for the very first worship service ever at a middle school, if, including those that just stood up. Would you stand up again for me? Anybody in that first year, they were there for the launch team, for the start of the church. You've been around for the whole ride. Just want to celebrate that. Cabral's, thank you guys. Wilson, many sleepless nights volunteering, doing all kinds of things over the years. But as we get into this, I imagine a lot of you are probably new to the family of churches and, and you don't get to understand maybe some of what I just shared. See, I want to tell you that I think God is up to something special here in Madison County. He's up to something special in Fortville, Indiana, in Northwest Indianapolis, in downtown Indianapolis. And in the 21, soon to be 22 churches that we've helped start through Multiply Indiana, a church planting network that we started, we really believe that the state is being transformed. You can go to marchforamillion.com, and we have a vision to be praying that a million disciples would be in our state. We're meeting together on March 20th at the Circle in downtown Indianapolis to pray and to fast and to believe that the Lord is going to do it. And it's a silly dream, but I want to tell you we serve a big God. Look at this creation. I mean, only God could make this property in its current state looked this beautiful. And I believe that's what God is in the habit of doing, is re restoring things and making them into what he intended them to. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you have a Bible, if you will open it up or power the one on on your phone, and we're going to begin in John chapter 3. 
We're going old school this morning. Nicodemus, born again. We're going to look at what it means to be transformed by God. And the simple question I want to ask you is, you may have been around church for a long time, but have you been transformed by God? Changed by him into the person that he desires you to be. That's what I want to discuss and what I want to look at. You ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. It says this in John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God was not with him. If you don't know who Nicodemus is or what a rabbi is, he was like a teacher in the Jewish ruling council. He had a lot of authority. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day. The one you look at and you're like, they get up at like 6 a.m. and do three hours of Bible study before they go to work. These were the people that everyone looked up to. And when Jesus came with his message, they were the ones most upset. And so Nicodemus, who had everything to risk, went to discuss the questions he had about Christ. And the responses that Jesus will give will radically transform his life. Verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. They've surrendered their life to Christ. They've been baptized in spirit. The more important part that they have received the spirit of God in their life. That they've chosen to receive the free grace and forgiveness the free gift of salvation eternally. You know, I think sometimes we like put people into boxes where it's like there's these certain like pagan people, they really need to hear this message, and then there's like the good Christian people. And I actually believe that there are probably a lot of us here that are in this in-between stage where we've never really determined what we believe about the things of God. We've attended church, we've been to worship services, we've heard about the Bible, but just because our grandmother was a Christian doesn't make us a Christian through osmosis. And at the heart of what Nicodemus is learning here is that his actions are not what bring him salvation. Jesus answered, or he goes on and says this, Nicodemus, surely they cannot enter the womb a second time. Verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I mean, my goal is really simple here today. We want to celebrate 10 years what the Lord has done, pray about what the Lord will do in the future. And I think that this morning, many of us here may look back at this like I look back at the second time we ever did this, a birthday celebration, and the baptisms that started a wake of impact over the last eight years that I look back and just say, only God. And if God can transform this small group, this one outpost with a bunch of broken people like me and others, to be used by God to transform so many lives throughout the Indianapolis area and now throughout the state, I believe he can do it in your life as well. Will you pray with me? God, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit. We're gathered here. Uh, We got all kinds of fun activities and chicken coming later, and we got bees swarming us, God. Please protect us, Lord Jesus. But... We also know that in the middle of all of this, sometimes it's in the chaos that you break through. I pray for a breakthrough moment for us this morning, Lord Jesus. For us as a family of churches, for us as individuals here, you created us, you redeemed us, Lord. 
We pray that you would speak to us. I pray right now for anybody who has questions about you, who has never been baptized or followed you with their life, that you might speak to their soul this morning, including myself, God, about the things that I could change in my life. Pray this in your name and all of God's family sin. Amen. Amen. If you got a phone, you got a phone? My 95-year-old grandfather has an iPhone, so I know you got a phone. Go ahead and pull your phone out for just a moment. And then I say that, there's always like the one person in the crowd, no, I don't, ha, yeah. Get your phone out, and I want you to share this service live right now. I can't believe they pulled it off. Can we give it up to Rob and the tech team that are meeting outside with all of their equipment? This is going out live on all the different streams, YouTube, Facebook, and even mercyroad.tv. Share this live service. It's just incredible the reach we can have online today. And I was thinking about the change that happens in technology. Like, we would never have been able to do that, uh, you know, 15 years ago. How, like, the iPhone that you got four years ago is, like, so out of date, you're frustrated by now, right? It's still communicating to a satellite up uh, thousands of miles up or hundreds of miles up into the air. We're still frustrated by it. Technology changes so fast. When you buy a laptop, four years, it's out of style. And I was thinking about how we know that change happens in technology, but we resist any change that could happen in our lives. And Nicodemus in this passage has a lot of reason to resist change. I was even thinking in my own life, man. Uh, yesterday morning, I got up and I was, I was just thinking about this. When I was a kid, anybody remember Saturday morning cartoons? Whatever happened to Saturday morning cartoons? They're like, Saturday morning, I got 24-7 cartoons whenever I want it. Just turn on my Netflix account or whatever else. I was thinking about, man, we are robbing kids of Saturday morning cartoons. And then I started thinking about those iPads, how lame iPads are. When I was a kid, we had really cool technology. Anybody remember the Etch-a-Sketch? Come on now. Love that thing. I always loved it because my parents who are here somewhere, they never bought me one. Very sad childhood. But I always loved when I went to somebody's house and they had the Etch-a-Sketch. And Pastor Rashad's here somewhere because some of you are under the age of 30 and you don't know what an Etch-a-Sketch is. I have one so you can see it, but the first person under the age of 30 to raise their hand, I'm going to give you a free commemorative. Oh, right there, Rashad, right next to you. She was the first. No, he's cheating. I saw it. It was right here, right here. Yep, yep, yep. She was the first. Give it up. I, you remember how you take the two knobs and you could like draw different things and I was terrible at it. And what I loved about it, it had a little magnet so you could draw everything. But if you like messed up and you weren't very good at it, what'd you do? Yeah, you just took that thing, you shook it real fast. It would have erased everything. Or I was actually talking to Rashad this week about it and some of you were mean. I didn't do this, Rashad did this. He told me he'd wait till his sister got almost done but she couldn't show anybody. And then he'd reach over and shake it real quick and give it back to her. That's just mean and cruel. I'm not going to boo Rashad because he's an amazing man of God. But this morning, I think that some of us, if your life isn't in the place that you had hoped it would be, what if this morning that the Lord just kind of shook your life up a little bit? Some of you had an etch-a-sketch moment, like Nicodemus in this passage, where because he encountered Christ... He totally recreated his life. The Bible actually tells us that. I'm going to read it later, but in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that when we encounter Christ, we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The life change that's described in that passage in the Greek 
It's a complete metamorphosis. It's not that you went in as a, a caterpillar and you came out a butterfly. That's not the transformation that God does in your life. It's that you went in as a caterpillar into the cocoon and you came out a roaring lion. It's a complete metaphysical change of everything in your life. When I was 19 years old and was a part of a fraternity house doing the things that people do in those places, I went from throwing the fraternity parties to leading a Bible study in the fraternity house. And I want to tell you, I had friends that would be like, dude, what happened to you? And some of them didn't like it and some of them did. There are reasons that we choose not to change, right? There are reasons that we don't let God shake some things up and start new. And if that's you here this morning, I want to talk about that through John chapter 3, three or four simple uh, reasons that we don't change. If you're taking notes, there's on the, the back of the little piece of paper you got four reasons we don't change. Number one, we're afraid. We're afraid. At least Nicodemus was. Uh, look, look at the first couple of verses with me again. Here's this guy. He's a Jewish ruling council member. Like, he's the dude. And it says in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. If he was this great authority and spiritual leader, why did he come to Jesus at night? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of what people would think about him because if he knew that if his religious buddies saw it, they would look down on him because they didn't like the message of Jesus. And I, hey, if anybody, I think Matt, I'm getting some feedback up here. So wherever Matt's at, we'd love you. Thank you, sir. I, uh, I want to tell you this morning that if you're afraid of changing because you're afraid of what that might mean for your life or for your family or for your friends, I've been there. Nicodemus was there. And that's the reason many of us never choose to change. We're afraid of what that might mean for our life. Nicodemus comes at night, and I'm convinced that many who encounter Christ never take next steps of faith because they're afraid of what people will think. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I want to tell you that I have seen people in the last 10 years who have come in and met with me or with other pastors who truly believed that they could never change. And they really were afraid of what that would mean to their life if they did. But when they came to know who Jesus was, his love for them, and in our world of isolated lives the last couple of years, that they would never be alone again. It's radically changed their lives. Some of you are, are key leaders in our church now. We have staff members who have had radical life changes we don't need to be ashamed of the good news of Jesus because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. So one of the reasons we don't change is that we're afraid. And the number two, we're, we, we're afraid that we can't change. We're not just scared. Like, we really think we can't change. Like, I tried it before, and I just go right back to the alcohol. Or I just go right back to the same problems. I've always had a foul mouth. I'm always going to have a foul mouth. And we go to these obedience issues of where we have failed rather than to the source, which is Jesus. And Jesus will never fail you. When we make mistakes, we have the choice of whether to return to him or not. See, Jesus said it this way in verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He says that what actually introduce you into God's reign in your life, R-E-I-G-N. 
is when you actually encounter Christ in the way because he was crucified, atoning for our sin and wrongdoing, that he rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, that it's because of his power, his authority, and not your obedience that you get to know God. The change comes as we get to know God more. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that I mentioned earlier, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Knowing God is a process, but there's always a moment. This is the key part. Not through our obedience, but there's always a moment where we become born of the things of God. I told you I was going old school. You know, and not the fire and brimstone church where we're going to say, you need to be born again. But I want to tell you, it's a spiritual truth that is real in Scripture. The Nicodemus understands in this passage that it's actually through God's power and authority that he could be born of God. To be transformed, to become the person he desires to be. And there's always a moment in time where that occurs, like a rocket leaving Earth's atmosphere. There is a moment in time where there are no longer any molecules and you are in the void of space you have now left the building where I want to tell you that there is a moment in time where the spirit of God comes into your life and begins this process. So you say, well, how does that occur? Romans 10, 9 makes it very simple. It was actually the verse of the day on the Bible app this morning. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So when I was 19 and I surrendered to Christ, that radical life change began. It was a process of knowing God over the last 20 some years. For the people in our church, Eric that was up here leading worship, uh, him and his wife Jillian have been working with addicts all over the state and all around the world because they came from that background. The, the name Mercy Road Church comes from Acts chapter 9. Saul was a religious terrorist ripping Christians out of their homes and imprisoning them. In Acts 6, he oversaw the stoning of Stephen, killed a, the, one of the first deacons, first seven deacons of the early church simply because of his faith. He looked on with approval. And Saul will become Paul, who goes on to write a lot of the New Testament and plant churches all over the Roman Empire, become one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the church. And it all happened because he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. That the mercy road is available for each of us, no matter how far we are from God, no matter how, our, how broken we've become. And for those of you who have been Christians a while, if you have messed up, to return to him and confess the things in our life and declare him Lord, as it says in this passage. And I'm convinced when you declare him Lord, he starts that process in your life and that obedient stuff will come. But we have to stop thinking that we can't change. God created the universe in six days. He, he, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. When there was just a few dozen people, and we believed that a million people would be reached for Christ in the state of Indiana, we didn't think church number 22 would be coming here in Anderson in a 10-year period. We never set out to even start a large church. And it was never to be built around a person, a worship leader, or a pastor, or a preacher, or a personality, but the community of believers on mission, empowering everyone to live out the, the fivefold mission of God in their life, and that you are here today, not as a church attender, but as a world changer. Being ignited by God, and I always see people today, like, critique 
the, the local church because there's a lot of things to critique, amen? But I want to tell you, part of that is we're critiquing ourselves because we all have the Spirit of God in our lives and have the opportunity to be used by Him if we surrender to Him. So we have to stop thinking that we can't change. One, we don't change because we're afraid. Two, we don't change because we think we can't. And three, some of us don't change because we think we're too young or too old. Right? Like some of you are like, dude, I'm 16. I'll start worrying about this Jesus thing, you know, when I get on down the road. Right now, I'm just having fun. Uh, some of you were like, dude, I've been around, and you didn't say the word dude, I said that, but like you're thinking, I am 90 years old. I am not changing. I have always been this way. I will always be this way. Some of the greatest world changers in scripture are all over the age demographic. We believe that the kingdom of God, the church, is meant to represent all age demographics all groups and ethnicities and socioeconomic statuses coming together, each with the Spirit of God in their life as a world changer to be used by God. You are not too young. You are not too old. And as in verse 4, as Nicodemus uh, asked this question, he you know, is asking a, a physical question. He's saying, how can someone be born when they are old? I'm too old. I can't change. What are you talking about? And then he gets like real literal with it. Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And he asks kind of a silly question about the physical nature of what Jesus is describing. And Jesus will talk about, oh, no, I'm not talking about that. But I'm convinced that some of us here, we just think, I will always be this way. It's too late to change. Or I'm too young to change. And we begin to form other identities around who we are. You know what it's like. People ask who you are. You tell them what you did. I'm a teacher. I'm a nurse. I'm a lawyer. I'm a student. I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, I'm a child, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. And I want to tell you those identities are, are fine, but God has so much more for us. And Nicodemus in this passage had plenty of reasons to go, dude, I'm old in my life. I, I've got, uh, you know, I'm a kind of an authority, spiritually speaking. I, I can't change. What are you talking about? I, I, this doesn't even make sense to me how we could actually experience life change. And then we form our identities around other stuff as well, like, some of us, you grow up and you're like, dude, I'm just a party guy. 45 years old, still being the party guy. It's not quite as cool, but I'm just a party guy. Or I'm the, I'm the workaholic. I'm the stingy business person. I'm the addict. I'm the divorcee. I'm the person who wasn't there for my children. I'm the sports fanatic. And I go through all these different things that we start forming our identities around. And we say, it's too late. I can't change. This is just who I am, the way I am. And I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell and not true. Because it's not by what you do that makes you right in the presence of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. Now he... He wants to redeem us to be used to be a world changer, but that comes out of the overflowing of the transformation God already does in our life. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too rich. You're not too poor. It's not too late. It wasn't too late for Nicodemus, and it's not too late for you. As we'll talk about in a moment, Christ paid the ultimate price that anybody could draw near to a perfect God. And if you're here today and you have real-life struggles I get it. We're right there with you. We started this church for people just like that. I got to tell you this. I, I didn't plan to say this. 
as we were worshiping during that first set of worship, there was a moment just seeing so many people passionately worshiping God and just thinking back over the last 10 years. And all that God has done, I, I was I almost fell down because I was not like a spiritual moment, but just like emotionally overwhelmed because I just couldn't believe what God is doing. And I want to tell you, like, there are some people here right now that they never would have thought in a million years their life would be used by God. They got track records and histories. Some of them have been in prison, made massive mistakes in their lives. Some of them have failed in different ways with their integrity, sexual lives, anything. And we feel like God must be done with us because we have this obedience mentality. And I want to tell you the obedience comes from the overflow of the grace of God in your life when he has poured himself into you. And if you feel alone and you feel like no one cares about you or loves you, your heavenly father will love you more than any other human being will. And you will find, you will find no perfect church. There are not perfect people here. But I'm telling you, he will never let you down. But it takes going back to him. And the reason I think it was kind of so emotional is to see all this happen because right before we started the church, we lost a child. And it just never thought that some of this stuff could ever happen and we were so let down and broken. And I've seen some of our churches, when they first got started, they had some difficulties and like some people, it didn't work the way they always thought it would work. And yet God was faithful and he worked it through. And I believe that if you actually go to him with your issues rather than run away from him, which is what I did in my past, when you turn to him, you get a chance to repent and to be transformed by him. It's harder, but it's worth it. In a little while here this morning, as we close out, we're going to give you a chance to respond to that even. The pastors are going to come forward, and you can come down and pray. and are going to give you a chance to receive Christ. You can even get baptized I know we got some people getting baptized this morning that have had radical life changes and just beginning that process. Uh, and I noticed they filled this thing up. This is a horse trough, so it's full of ice-cold water. You will die with Christ and raise with him this morning. But uh, we, we filled it up as much as possible because we think there are going to be so many people wanting to get baptized. Some of you are just going to get baptized in your clothes. You don't even care. Some of you are going to take your life and allow God just to shake that thing up a little bit. Say, I, I saw where things were going, and I didn't like the creation of my life to this point, but I'm not done. I, I'm not too old, and I'm not too young. I'm going to let God change me now. But I want to get to the fourth and final point is some of us don't change because we just can't figure God out. We're not afraid. We don't think we can't change. We don't think we're too young or too old to change. We just, we got all these questions about God. And I want to tell you, Nicodemus was like that. He asked this question. And in verses 5 through 8, Jesus responds and he, he tells them very truly, verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but uh, spirit gives birth to spirit. He says that you need the spirit of God in your life to bring life transformation happen. He doesn't say 
go and read this textbook, and then you'll get every answer correct. But I also want you to know it is always okay to ask any question. And I'm amazed at how many human beings in the world today who are going to go buy a house or a car, even go shopping at Nordstrom or even Walmart, and they go in the store, and, and they look at these items. You'll spend hours, days, hundreds of hours researching the best. And then when it comes to the most important decision of your life, you never even think about it. You're like, well, I'm not a Christian because I don't know about the dinosaurs. Really? If, if eternity is aligned, the hundred or less years on this planet is like a little tiny dot. And the most important decision of our life, we never take the time to ask the questions or to think about. Nicodemus asks his questions and Jesus responds and he tells him the spirit of God is like the wind and it moves and you can't always understand it or figure it out, but you can trust it. And if you come to him with their tough questions, as Nicodemus says, you will, not be, you will be amazed by what he can do. Get to know Jesus. Experience a relationship. Ask your questions, all of them, but don't diminish an almighty creator and redeemer of the universe. He loves you. He created you and he redeemed you. And as we did something like this at our second birthday bash, we had this moment where the Spirit of God kind of shook us all in a building, and I don't have time to get into it, but... I'm telling you, I've never forgot that moment. And I think there's some here, people here this morning that you just said God is going to shake you up right now. And he has been speaking to you because you know if that, that life that you've been creating doesn't look exactly like you would want it to. And you even know more, and although we don't want to talk about it, you don't think that God really likes the life that you got right now. There is no condemnation for those who know Christ Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the good news of Christ. It is, it is for you, not just the good people. It is for you, not just the people who have their lives together. It was Nicodemus who needed to come to Jesus at night because he was afraid. But you know what happens? Nicodemus, he has his life so changed by Christ, he shows up at the crucifixion when Jesus gives his life on the cross. I'm going to talk about that in closing. But after his death, there were two people that went to get the body of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, and in John chapter 19, Nicodemus was the other one. And Nicodemus actually brought the myrrh and the aloes and the spices to treat Jesus' body for his burial. To give him a kingly burial that he deserved because he had become the king, the Lord of his life. It's thought that that would have been up to 75 pounds of spices and oils that he would have had to come. He had to leave everything behind, not care with his friends or his family. He had to give up his career. We sometimes tell people that if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. No, Jesus wants to come in and totally change it. You went in a caterpillar, you come out a roaring lion, but the transformation, he wants to ruin and wreck your life first. He wants to say, I want you to start all over and to make me new. You could become a new creation. The old could be gone. The new could come here and shake that thing up. And I can't wait to see what he's going to create. You could become the world changer that you were created to be. There are people in this space right now that will reach more people for Christ than I ever will. I'm from a little town in Union City, Indiana. Seven people here have heard of that town. I'm telling you guys, I, I'm not making this up. He could use you, and I want to, you to know the depth of Jesus' love for you. You see, in his closing breaths on the cross, he knows he has to watch it because when you are crucified, you actually suffocate to death on the cross because you can no longer hold up the weight of your body that they put a nail through your feet and you slowly slink down and you take shallower breaths and you die of asphyxiation. 
And I've shared this one other time, but that's actually, uh, my, my wife and I witnessed what that's like with our son. And I didn't mean to share that this morning, but I couldn't get it out of my mind right now. And I, I think that I want to tell you that he went and endured all of that process knowingly. And his last breath that he have to make use of every moment, he does a couple of things in the Gospels. One, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some people who don't understand scripture will go and say, why is he doubting his father on the cross? And that's not what he's doing. He's quoting word for word Psalm 22, which was a messianic psalm, talking about the coming of the anointed one that would bring salvation. And he's declaring that for those of you who have questions and don't understand God, he's declaring with one of his last breaths on the cross that for thousands of years they've been waiting for the Messiah and here God is, he's given his very life for you that you may know him, be redeemed, have eternal life in heaven, know that your loved ones go there and experience him at work in your life now that the kingdom of God could be at hand. And the second words he shares in his very last breath in John 19, right before Nicodemus treats him with the spices, he says, this last breath, to tell us die, which meant it's paid in full. Because for centuries and a millennia, the Jewish people, in order to get right with God, had offered these sacrifices of animals to draw near to a perfect God. And Jesus gets up as the Lamb of God, as the atoning sacrifice once and for all on the cross. And see, it was the day of Passover. And on the day of Passover is when the Passover lamb would be slain. And the Passover lamb would be slain at twilight, at three o'clock in the afternoon is what we would know today. Anybody know what time Jesus gives up his spirit on the cross? Twilight, three o'clock in the afternoon. So you would know doubly that he was the Messiah to pay the price for us. And he would shout to Telestai. Why would he use his last breath for that? Because the high priest once a year when they sacrificed the Passover lamb would come up at three o'clock in the afternoon and he would cry to Telestai. It's paid in full. The sins of the Jewish people are paid for one year. But Jesus got on the cross and says to Telestai, it's paid for all time. No longer do you have to try and get near me with your obedience or lack of obedience, you have to repent and draw near to me, receive the free gift of forgiveness because of the work on the cross. And all you have to do is believe with your heart and confess with your lips as Jesus says in scripture. And I am telling you, there are some of you here today that you need to stop running away because he's gonna pursue you and pursue you. The Israelites ran away for thousands of years. He sent his only son because he was tired of it. He wanted you to come home. He wants you to come home this morning. And so I wanna give you the opportunity to respond to that. Will you pray with me? God, I believe that there are people here right now who know about you, but have never experienced a relationship with you. They feel like they're talking to nothing. Make your presence known to them in this moment. God, I pray that you would intercede on our behalf to spiritually mentor us, to transform our very soul. If there is even one person here this morning who says, I want to recommit my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or I want to surrender my life fully to you for the first time, God, I pray that we respond right now. The scriptures teach that all are welcome, but it takes us confessing with our lips and believing in our heart. So on the count of three, I want to give you the opportunity to do that very thing. You don't need to be ashamed of him. He's not ashamed of you. He wants you to come home with loving arms. If that's you in the, the space here this morning, right now, on the count of three, I want you to just raise your hand as high as you can so I can see it and proclaim, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm not going to make you do anything crazy, but just on the count of three, 
I want you to surrender everything to the Lordship of Jesus by raising your hand. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he's not done with you. Three, he invites you to new life in Christ eternally with him. And I see you down here, right here in the front row, the person over here, the, the couple of people back there. Raise it nice and I one all the way in the back. All the way in the back. I see you. And if I miss people, anybody out there, raise it nice and high. I think there's another person in the back there. Hard to see back there for me. Oh, man, yeah. Okay, thank you. You can put the, those down. God, you have seen those right now. They'll raise their hand to surrender to you. God, we thank you for their willingness to do it. And I wonder if there's even one person here that was afraid to do that. And God, like Nicodemus coming in the dark, that they're going to encounter you in a way that they're no longer afraid. And so if that's you, pray this silently as I pray out loud. God, this morning, if you raise your hand right now, God, this morning, I believe and receive your free gift of grace and forgiveness and salvation. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And I surrender my life completely to your lordship. Use me, Jesus. I make you king of my life, just like Nicodemus. Pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen.